I've never been, quote, flexible. Like, as a kid, it was funny when I tried dance and gymnastics, like, I still remember not being able to touch my toes from a young age. And even as I got older, when I was playing sports, most of my teammates would laugh and joke because I couldn't touch my toes. Like, it was kind of just like a joke. You'd be like, Natalie, try to touch your toes. I like, couldn't do the toe touch reach, right? Like, couldn't do it. So that was not something that I was good at. Like I wasn't good at mobility. I wasn't good at flexibility. So I often was like, oh, I think my knees hurt because like my quads are really tight. I'm sure my hips are really tight, but I didn't know what I could do to get better. Hey y'all, it's Natalie Higby. I'm the co-owner of The Durable Athlete, a trainer at the Onnit Gym in Austin, Texas, and former educator. And you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Salm, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. Today, I'm excited to have on Natalie Higby who is the co-founder of The Durable Athlete. She's a health and wellness coach at the Onnit Academy. She's a former educator and college basketball player. And today we're going to talk about athlete longevity, which is something that I think every athlete that's both current and former is looking for in their life. So and I came across Natalie just on Instagram, actually doing some cool animal flow type stuff to, you know, as a pre-workout, I tried it out myself. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to get this chick on. So Natalie, thanks for coming on. And can you start off by just taking us through like what your athletic career was like and what kind of like led you to the creation of the Durable Athlete? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. So I grew up playing sports. I have an older brother and I kind of idolized him in a lot of ways and pretty much played everything he wanted to play. From there, honestly, soccer was like my big sport as a kid. I was pretty shy. And so like gymnastics and dance and anything that my parents tried to put me in where I was like in the spotlight in some way, I really didn't like, I felt very uncomfortable with. And I picked up volleyball and basketball in about fifth grade. Took me a little bit longer to start playing those because of that reason. I felt like once the ball came to me, the spotlight was on me and I was a little shy. But once I started playing in fifth grade, those were like my two sports that I really, really loved. Throughout junior high, I was one of those kids that kind of played everything. When it was track and field season, I was doing that. When it was volleyball, I was playing volleyball, basketball, pretty much anything I could do, I played that sport. Um, was not very good at tennis and, and some of the other ones that like, I don't know. So I liked the team sports, I guess. Again, maybe that element of like not wanting to be in the spotlight so much. And then when I got to high school, I stuck with, again, volleyball and basketball. Those are my big sports. I played at Richardson High School. It was like a 5A school in Dallas. From there, I ended up playing some college basketball at the University of Texas at Dallas. So basketball was kind of like my biggest love. That's what it, it turned into. I think a lot of that had to do with the coaches that I had and the team that I was on, because looking back, I feel like volleyball could have been my favorite as well. You know, and sometimes I wish I would have gone down that route and also played volleyball. But yeah, I think it was like the teammates I had, the coaches I had, and that really sparked that passion to want to get better and better at basketball. And so that's what I stuck with. I played just one year at the University of Texas at Dallas and then really just left Dallas because I figured I'd get a job there and then I would never leave. So I moved on down to San Marcos and just went to school, played everything I could though, like as far as intramurals. And then I found CrossFit. So it was in college that I found CrossFit and that was the first thing once I finished playing basketball. Like there, there was a, like a year or so that went by when 
kind of didn't know what to do. And I think every athlete experiences that once you're done playing, it's kind of like, all right, what do I do to train? Like, who am I after, you know, playing sports my entire life and being like a captain of my team and having like a coach to support me and, you know, a practice to go to. And so just going to the gym day in and day out and kind of doing like bodybuilding stuff was cool. And I had some friends that I would work out with, but I really was looking for something more. And when I found CrossFit, I immediately fell in love because it was the first thing since playing basketball that I felt like I had that team camaraderie and like a coach to support me and coach me through. I, I like that relationship. So I loved that about CrossFit. And that was probably 2010, I think, somewhere around then, um, that I found CrossFit. And the other thing I really loved about CrossFit is I've always been, I'm not tiny, I'm like 5'10", athletic. And so to see women who also weren't just teeny tiny and like petite, but like badass and strong. I resonated with that of like, okay, I feel like I can still do this and be the athlete that I am, but do it in a way now that's like something I could do maybe for the rest of my life. Then I realized how hard CrossFit was on my body. (laughs) So that took a toll on me. Uh, As much as I love CrossFit and I I'll say good things about CrossFit all day long because there are a lot of things that CrossFit, at least for me, you know, brought into my life that were positive. But at the end of the day, the idea that kind of went into like, go as hard as you can every single day and let's hit these, you know, workouts of the day, the wads every single day, um, just pushing, pushing, pushing without a whole lot of rest and recovery, like eventually just kind of burned me out and left me, I would say in pain, you know, I didn't have like crazy injuries, but yeah, like chronic knee pain, my wrists were bugging me, like little things would hurt. And I just thought that was normal. So a couple questions. What led to the decision? So I know you went to San Marcos to get away from the Dallas scene because that's where you were born and raised and you were afraid that you were just going to be there forever. So when you went there, did they not have basketball or did you just not want to play basketball? No, I realized that, you know, I probably wasn't going to play in the NBA. And I remember like missing some Thanksgiving time with my family for playing basketball. And as much as I love the sport, that was something that I was kind of like, you know what? Like I really value my family and I value my time. And if I'm not going to make a career out of this after college, then maybe I just want to play for fun. Like that was kind of, that was like a piece of it. Right. I mean, there were some other things, but. And the turkey's like always a little drier the next day. And like the <laughs> yeah. cra- the cranberry yeah. sauce to, you know, gets a little mold on it. And yeah, you know, I didn't really want that. No, but that wasn't the only thing. Honestly, I, a lot of it had to do with deciding to leave Dallas last minute because when I left Dallas last minute, I moved to Austin and I came to Austin. The, when I decided to leave UTD, it was like the end of the school year, like a very late decision to try to like apply to another school and figure out where I wanted to go. And I didn't know at the time. So I actually went to Austin Community College that following year, which is also kind of what stopped me from playing is like I ended up playing, you know, at like the rec center and just like pickup games and stuff. I, I played a lot at like 24 hour fitness and I would just go play pickup games, but I was going to ACC living with a few of my friends that were going to UT. And it was during that time that I, as much as I love Austin now, I didn't love it, love it then. I actually really liked the town of San Marcos, which was 30 minutes South. I had some friends going to school at Texas state there. So that's when I decided to transfer there. So it was kind of like that, the transfer of schools and going to a community college and then going to Texas state that kind of like, I don't know, not that I thought my chance, like, I just thought it was over by then. You know, I was like, all right, I'm just going to go to school. Like I'm going to play sports for fun. So things just changed based on my last minute decision of leaving Dallas. And how long after the transfer to San Marcos did you find CrossFit? About a year or so. 
So during that year span, what were the struggles or did you have struggles or were you distracted enough with the new school and new friends and stuff like that, that it didn't really bother you too much? There were some struggles. I honestly did think that it was fine. Like I did have a couple group of friends that were like trying to better themselves health and wellness wise. And I resonated with that. And specifically the girl I lived with, we had like these, these neighbors that were these two guys that moved in that were opening up a Nutra shop in town and opening up a gym. One of them happened to be the brother of the guy who opened up the CrossFit gym that I ended up working out at and then coaching at. So that was like my connection. But with them at first, it was all about like, hey, let's count macros. Let's figure out what we're going to eat. Here's our workouts, you know, that we're going to go do uh, at the rec center. And so I kind of enjoyed that even in and of itself, but there wasn't that like competitiveness with it, right? Like there wasn't a a team aspect. I didn't know what I was really working towards unless you're thinking like, oh, I want to look better. Like, I guess that was a piece of it, right? But that was never really what drove me. Still doesn't necessarily. And so when, when I found CrossFit again, that's when I was like, oh, like that resonates with me because I feel like it's something that I can be proud of my body for doing and not having to base, you know, my success on how I'm looking. And I kind of feel like that was the struggle I had was like, oh, now I need to like just look a certain way versus being able to perform a certain way. And I didn't, I didn't love that. Like I was okay with it. You know, I was trying to figure it all out, but ultimately I think that was the piece that was really missing was like, how do I put my, like, where do I put my self-worth, right? Like if I'm not doing something and accomplishing that physically, then I don't know, you know, that felt different. No, I had had a similar struggle. It's like, yeah, like on the field, it's like, easy to have these like external things come at you that it can look like self-worth like oh i'm you know i'm good at this or something but when you don't have that but it's funny because like when i found cross i found a little later than you in like 2012 or so again like i was working at Rutgers football as a student manager and just a couple of my buddies that i worked with we would go into the weight room before practice and like one guy's let's do the crossfit workout i'm like what the hell is crossfit we were doing burpees on the floor and i was like i actually like love this. Like I love the suffering of it. And like, I love just beating the crap out of myself, which is great for a while, but it obviously catches up with you. Like it sounds like it might've caught up with you too. So what kind of injuries did you suffer from, I guess, before you started kind of changing up the training routine? I mean, a big one would just be a few sprained ankles throughout my life. I feel like that's a big one. So just some stuff going on with my ankles. I also trained for a half marathon at one point. This was after college though. And my knees were already not that great. My knees started bothering me. I remember like in in junior high going to the doctor just for some pain. And they kind of said it was just like some growing pains. But yeah, the doctor said I had arthritis in my knees. So that was a big one. I had broken a couple bones playing sports. I broke my wrists, even like snowboarding one time. So my wrists would kind of bug me, a couple broken fingers and stuff. But so it wasn't like, even when I was doing CrossFit, I always felt like I could do everything without a whole lot of pain. Like I, I don't remember always being necessarily like in a whole lot of pain, although I was sore a lot of the time and really, really tired. It wasn't until post-college, that's when like my knees really started bugging me. But I think it's obviously an accumulation of, of everything over time. And I would say that like the ankle sprains, you know, played into that, all of the high impact stuff and just like overtraining. I was not flexible whatsoever. I've never been quote flexible, like as a kid, I was funny when I tried dance and gymnastics, like I still remember not being able to touch my toes from a young age. And even as I got older, when I was playing sports, most of my teammates would laugh and joke because I couldn't touch my toes. Like it was kind of just like a joke. It'd be like, Natalie, try to touch your toes. I like couldn't do the toe touch reach, right? Like couldn't do it. So that was not 
something that I was good at. Like I wasn't good at mobility. I wasn't good at flexibility. So I often was like, Oh, I think my knees hurt. Cause like my quads are really tight. I'm sure my hips are really tight, but I didn't know what I could do to get better. So I would say pain started after college and a few years after I found CrossFit, you know, it wasn't like immediately I just had all these injuries from CrossFit. That's why I don't have, you know, terrible things to say about CrossFit. I know some people get injured there, but I didn't actually get injured doing CrossFit. I do think that things accumulated over time, but honestly, even like that half marathon I trained for at the time, I don't think that was the best for me. And that really messed up my knees then. So I eventually found on it, like moved to Austin after I coached in San Marcos for a few years, came to the Onnit gym. And that was the first time I was introduced to a joint by joint mobility practice and the concept of durability and like a different way to look at, in my mind, what flexibility, what I thought flexibility was, you know, and just being able to control my body weight and go through different movements, specifically body weight movements that at the time were bugging me. There were things I couldn't do because I was like, man, my knees hurt when I do this. Like if I'm on the ground too much, doing a lot of this animal flow stuff, my wrists hurt. Like those were the two big things that I really noticed were like my wrists and my knees that bugged me. And I'm sure we'll dive into the story, but now I don't experience any pain there. Yeah, can you explain to the audience like what the Onnit Academy is? Like if you're a Joe Rogan listener, you probably know all about Onnit, but people listening to this might not be. So just can you just explain like what the company is and like kind of what their mantra is all about? Yeah, Onnit, basically their tagline is total human optimization. That's one of them. Started as a supplement company, but grew into really like this health and wellness company and, and fitness company specifically. On it itself, like the corporate office has, you know, like that is on it, but there's a whole gym attached to that. And there's only one, right? So the on it gym is in Austin, Texas. And basically Aubrey Marcus, who at the time was the CEO of on it, he was training with kettlebells. And I think it was at the time when kettlebells were still somewhat new. And so he wanted to be able to provide some education around those kettlebells, as well as some tools like the steel mace and steel clubs, which I think a lot of people consider them like functional fitness tools, not super common, right? You're not going to see them probably at like a gold's gym or 24 hour fitness, maybe nowadays, I'm not sure, but he wanted to provide education around that. So that's where the Onnit Academy came from, was finding like the best people in the business who understood not only how to use the tools, but how to teach about those tools. And then they, like the through line for all of it is the durability certification. And a lot of this comes from a guy named, or a couple guys, but Shane Hines and John Wolf. John Wolf is like the chief of fitness. Uh, him and Shane Hines developed these courses. And basically the Onnit Academy prioritizes longevity and performance. And they always talk about there's a reason longevity is first, right? And so it's, it's always about like connecting to your body, making sure that your joints function like they should independently of one another. And then as a whole unit, right? And what I love about the Onnit Academy is it's not dogmatic. So they take everything and it's kind of like, let's look at the context that it's used, right? Like, when could we use this? When would this be the right answer for what situation? Like, there's never really like a yes or no answer, right? They're always gonna be like, well, what's the context? And then finding the right answer within that. So yeah, Onnit is just a really awesome gym with really great educators who prioritize longevity above performance, but they're always kind of like pushing that edge of what's possible. And I feel like at the forefront of human movement. I love that longevity over performance piece because I think especially young athletes get so caught up in the performance side of it when in reality, if you're not there to perform because you're hurt, then like, what's the point? 
Yeah, they always say what the best ability is availability. Yep, I was just gonna say it. Yeah, one of my guests a long time ago said that, and it's so true. It's like yeah, you could perform as much as you want, but if you're not on the field, who who cares? So what? You just like showed up to a on a class and like got into it, or or what? Kind of. Honestly, at the time I was on ClassPass when I found on it, I was kind of like newer to the Austin area and I was trying to figure out where I wanted to work out. At the time I was doing some strongman training out of a gym, which I really, really loved. And I was doing some sprinting and yoga. That was kind of like my thing or my routine, I guess. And then I found on it. And to be honest, it was literally just doing body weight classes. They had like specific like body weight days. There was this coach named Isik at the time. He was there. And I remember it was like body weight Tuesdays or something. And it was just some simple stuff, but some movements that I had never done before. And I remember it being so difficult for me and such a challenge that for me, I'm somebody that really intrigues me. So I'm like, why is this so hard? What are these movements? I've never even done this one movement. Like that's really, really cool. So not only then did it kind of spark again, like I like that athlete and coach mentality. Like I immediately was like, I want to get better at that. I feel like I can train for that, right? Like now I have this goal, right? Like it's, it's really pushing me. I kind of like when I suck at something because I want to learn how to get better, right? And I want to like study it and devote some time to it. So the body weight stuff really intrigued me because it was so difficult. And then even some of the tools, you know, there were five or 10 pounds and the way we use them were so intentional and so challenging that I like that aspect because here I am on the flip side, I'm doing strongman stuff where I've come from CrossFit where everything is go as fast as possible, go as hard as possible, go as heavy as possible. And I came to on it and it was all about making lightweight feel heavy. It was about being very intentional with your movement. It was, man, how come I can squat you know, X on my back with the barbell or deadlift this, but I can't even do this body weight movement. Like something's wrong there, right? I should be able to move better. And so that was what was really intriguing to me. And then from there I was hooked. So I became a member as often as I could, started taking their certification, got really into the community there, which ultimately led to them offering me a job just after a couple of years of really being a part of what they you know, had to offer. I'm jealous that I'm in New Jersey and I can't go to Austin or go to the Onnit gym regularly. But I guess you were a teacher before you started working at Onnit and the Durable Athlete. So before we get into the Durable Athlete stuff, you were always drawn to education. Like you, you still teach now. So can you just tell us about that transition from teaching to you know more focusing on the, the Durable Athlete? Really what happened was when I, so I went to school for education. I always thought that I would teach and coach. Like in my mind, I'm like, I'll, I'll teach at a junior high or high school and I would coach a sport. From a young age, it's just what I wanted to do. So I ended up studying education at school. So here I am, I'm about to leave San Marcos. I was about to go back to Dallas to do student teaching. At least that's what I thought, right? I was like, oh, I, kn- I know teachers there. I know principals. Like I can go back there and get a job. And it was my friends I was talking about who had opened up the CrossFit gym in San Marcos who came to me. And they were like, hey, we know how much you love this. And like, you're a big part of our community here. Why don't you do student teaching here and potentially get some certifications under your belt so that you could become a coach for us? And in that time, like, you'll be able to do personal training. You can run our CrossFit kids classes. You can do women's classes. And so that's what I did. I ended up staying there, student taught and that college town and was working there. So I, after I graduated, I, I got all my teaching uh, certifications, but I ended up coaching, doing personal training basically for about three years or so. 
during that time, I was about two years in San Marcos post-graduation. I moved to Austin just because Austin is a little bit bigger city and figured that's, you know, a better place to kind of like, I don't know, be a young adult and like, you know, have my career. And so, and I really loved Austin then, really grew to love it. So I moved to Austin, but I struggled with something that I think a lot of trainers struggle with. And what that is, is that I was living in an area of town that I could afford. I was working in an area of town, the Westlake area, which I could not afford to live there. Pretty wealthy part of town. And the drive was kind of far. So at first I didn't seem bad. I'm like, awesome. I'm so excited to be in Austin. I get to you know train at this gym. But over time, what I realized was like, okay, I have to be at the gym at 6 a.m. for a client. And then maybe I have like a three hour break and then I've got another client and then I've got some classes and then I have another break and then I have more, you know, like I'm working from 6 a.m. till 9 p.m. But every time I go home now, it's, it's a far drive. So I'm gas money, just even time getting there. It's like, as soon as I get there, I'm going to have to turn around and come back. It was definitely just like a good old garage gym. So in Texas summertime, it was super, super hot. In the wintertime, it was really cold. So not comfortable just to be like, oh, I'm going to stay here and read all day or like get some other work done. Like it kind of burnt me out. I was there for about a year once I moved to Austin. In that time, I was trying to figure out how can I keep doing this or what else am I going to do, right? Also not having the security of like having benefits, right? With healthcare. And, you know, it was like, if I wasn't working, if I left town for something and I wasn't making money, that was tough. And so for me, I was like, all right, maybe I'll get into teaching and I'll coach on the side. Like I can coach in the summertime. Maybe I'll do some stuff on the weekends. I really, really loved coaching, but I was honestly just struggling to make ends meet. And so that's what pushed me into teaching. And kind of like you had mentioned, like there's a lot that correlates between like coaching and teaching. Like ultimately I'm still teaching a group of people something that I want them to understand. I'm trying to challenge these individuals based on their levels and where they're at today, but I want them to feel successful, right? So you kind of want to push everyone to like their edge and then create relationships with everyone. And so that's what helped me when it came to like my interview for teaching. I was like, well, here's what I studied in college. Here's what I've been doing, but here's the carryover. Like I'm making lesson plans. I'm writing the workouts. I'm assessing my clients and then progressing them from there, which is what you do in a classroom. Like all those things were very similar. So I ended up teaching third grade. That's like through subbing and all sorts of stuff, ended up landing a job in third grade at a school. And because my passion which I found out was really rooted in like health and fitness. I spent all of my free time still studying health and fitness. So it was like, I'm doing precision nutrition certifications. I'm doing fascial stretch therapy certifications. I'm taking all the on it certifications. Like that was where my heart really was. I loved my kids and I loved my teaching job, but I felt like all the things I wanted to study in my free time were around health and fitness. And so that is what led to, as I was teaching for three years, I was going to the Onnit Academy at that point. That's when I was really into their certifications, taking their certifications, taking all like as many classes as I could, you know what I mean? Like doing their durability classes, going to their steel mace classes, doing their bodyweight classes, getting to know the people who worked at Onnit, getting to know the community. And that's when one of their coaches and the manager of the gym, Juan, came up to me at a certification. And he was like, hey, Natalie, just kind of chatting with me. He's like, you're such a huge part of our community. Like we know that you've, coached in the past, like they knew what my background was and, and they knew that I was getting these other certifications with precision nutrition and fascial stretch therapy and, and through them. And he was like, why don't you just coach it? Like, why aren't you coaching? And I was like, well, that's a good point. Like, I kind of want to start my own business. I'm kind of like itching to do that, do something on the side. But 
I don't know. Like I'm just teaching right now. And he's like, well, we're looking for a female coach. Like we don't have any female coaches here really, especially not full-time. I was the first full-time female coach at Onnit. Definitely like male dominated. And he's like, and with your background and just how involved you are in our community, like I think it would be a really good fit. And yeah, so then I just took him up on that offer. School ended on a Friday and I basically started like interning, you know, as a coach there that following Monday, did that for like the summertime. And then, you know, officially told my school I wouldn't be coming back like midsummer because I was loving it so much. And to be honest, the great thing about Onnit at the time is that they did offer salary and benefits and it was a big company and they did have like, you know, that corporate side where if I had a break, like I could go study over there. I could go eat my lunch. They had a cafe. Like it was like a dream come true. Like I was like, this is a dream job. <laughs> I love this. Uh, getting to do what I love, but having just like a little more comfort while doing it, I guess, but definitely a challenge. I'm always up for a challenge. So just starting any new career and trying to get new clients, like that was tough, but I enjoyed it. And through that, through on it, I met my boyfriend and my partner and my business partner, Christian, he was working at on it before I was and durable athlete kind of grew out of our passions and visions coming together. He started durable athlete technically before I was a part of durable athlete in some sense, but we were together and I feel like we were always talking about just like what was most important. And it was always like these, the holistic approach to health and wellness, right? Like it wasn't just the mobility. It wasn't just the nutrition, but it was sleep and it was mindset and it was breath, right? Like our pillars for the durable athlete are sleep, nutrition, breath, and movement. I always say like the one that kind of embodies all that is, is the mindset one. So durable athlete grew from just us having an idea and honestly on it being really open to their employees starting their own businesses as well. Like that was something that was really cool about on it is they kind of had that like entrepreneurial spirit. Right. And it was like, okay, we have this idea for something that we want and they helped us kind of cultivate that and, and pursue our dreams and so now, you know, to this day, like I still work it on it part-time, but I'm now full-time co-owner, co-founder of The Durable Athlete. So it's been really cool just how everything has come together. And honestly, how all the things that have happened in my past, I feel like have honestly happened for a reason because they have made me a better educator and teacher and coach and communicator with the clients that I have today. And it's all been a big piece as to how I want to now start my business and talk about like going out on a limb and basically, you know, being scared to do something, starting your own business can be scary. And there goes all that security that I was talking about. But I feel like this time around, I'm so much more confident doing that where I'm at in my life. No, that's super cool. And it's interesting because like, I'm a big uh, primal soldier guy too. I like doing his workouts, but it's like, yeah, he's got his own business on the side, but he still works it on it. It's like, it's cool. I, I mean, it's rare to have an employer that is like supportive of, of that. That's cool. Can you dive in into each of the, the pillars of the durable athlete and why those are important for athletes that are currently athletes and then also retired athletes that to kind of prolong that longevity? The one I want to start with is sleep. I feel like I'm so big on sleep. And one of the first books that really helped me become more aware of the importance of sleep was called Sleep Smarter by Sean Stevenson. I love his podcast, The Model Health Show. Always has great tips. But that was the first book I just remember reading about sleep specifically that blew my mind on how important it is. And so to keep it somewhat short and sweet, I feel like sleep is our ultimate reset button. Sleep is the ultimate recovery tool. And we're thinking about like even regulating our hormones, like sleep again is that reset button for our hormones, right? And so 
almost every function of our body relies on us getting a quality night sleep. When we don't get quality sleep, things like our focus and our memory is impaired. Our muscles don't recover as optimally as they could. Our mood starts to shift, right? We can become kind of like cranky, moody. Our appetite changes and our cravings can change too. So I feel like if you have any sort of goal of wanting to perform at your highest level, but you're neglecting sleep, then you're missing out on one of the biggest pieces that could help you not only, again, like be more focused, have more energy, you know, regulate your hunger better, regulate your hormones better. If it's like even wanting to, you know, I think the one thing that comes to mind is people who are like, I want to work out. So I'm like crushing it. I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. And I'm going to do my workout and then I'm going to work all day. And they're like priding themselves on working hard and sleeping less. I get that maybe sometimes in life that needs to happen. But I would, on the flip side, be like, I feel like you could get so much more out of all that you're trying to do if you let yourself recover at night. And so sleep is number one for us. And again, simply put, it's the ultimate recovery tool. Like that's the way our body recovers. Our brain recovers, stores memories, all the above. So what's your recommendation for, or tip for going to bed earlier? Because I'm someone that like, yeah, I love it when I wake up at 5am, get a workout in and nothing can throw me off for the day. But at the same time, like then I'm up till 10 o'clock sometimes watching Hulu with my wife or something like that. And that's really what gets me. Like, I would love to go to bed at 930, but do you have like a, a tip? People make fun of me because I go to bed at like 8.30 a lot because I do have to get up sometimes at five and I have an aura ring. So a lot of times on Instagram, I'll post my sleep score or just like whatever aura ring says a day. And I honestly have a lot of people that are like, well, you went to bed at like eight or 8.30. And I'm like, I like to stay up late too. Don't get me wrong. But I've also had a job really my entire life that requires me to be up usually around five or 6 a.m. Like being a trainer, even the school I worked out at, when I was working at the school, I would usually have to be there by like 6.15 a.m. Right now I have clients at 6.30, right? So I have to get up early. So for me, it's just, I want my sleep. Like, so my answer to that would be like, just being really disciplined, understanding like, what is it that you are trying to accomplish? And again, if we're looking at the long-term goal, right? Like I want to be as healthy as possible for as long as I live. Sleep is a big part of that. So while it may not seem like, you know, on a Wednesday night when I don't get my sleep, like that's a big deal, but when that's accumulated over time, it is a big deal. And so I just know the importance of sleep. It's like, I don't know if there's a saying for it, but it's like the more you know, like the harder it is to ignore. So after I've studied all these things and I know how important sleep is, like I can't not sleep. Otherwise, I don't know. I just know what it's doing to my body. I also don't feel very energized. Like I have a job where I have to be in front of a lot of people all day long, right? Like I'm either training big groups of people, I'm working one-on-one with people. I have to be able to hold space and give people my energy all day long. And if I'm feeling tired, then I'm not doing a good job. So I also feel like, again, it comes down to that discipline of like, I want to be the best me possible for myself, but also I want to be the best me possible for the people that I'm serving. And I can't serve them at a high level if I'm feeling like shit all day long. If I'm feeling tired, if I'm feeling cranky, like that's not going to go over well. So I just make it a priority to get sleep. Again, it's, it's been something that's just like, it's a habit that I've created over time. It, you know, I didn't just change overnight necessarily, but again, it came with like, all right, I want seven and a half hours of sleep. So that means I got to go to bed this time if I'm going to wake up at this time. And then just kind of adjusting my schedule to that. And to be honest, like a lot of times I don't love it, right? Like I'm sad. I want to stay up and like 
my boyfriend loves the Lakers and basketball has been on recently. And sometimes he goes to bed a little bit later than I do because he might start later than I do. And so, or vice versa, he was starting at camp really early and I would say later, but we both just know, like, if we're going to get up at a certain time, I'm going to go to bed at this certain time. And yeah, it's just discipline. No, that's what I was actually thinking. I'm like, it was probably just discipline, but yeah. it's discipline. And, and honestly, with a lot of things, that's what I tell my clients is like consistency is what counts. And now that I have that routine down, if I'm being honest, like by eight, eight 30, I'm tired and I want to go to bed. And so it's like on a Friday night, it's almost hard or Saturday night, or if someone invites us out or whatever, it's almost hard to stay up till 10, 11, midnight, whatever that might be, because I'm so used to going to bed at eight or nine o'clock or whatever it is that like my body is physically tired and I've woken up at five or 6 a.m. So like, I just need sleep. Like my body is tired. Right. And so, yeah, sticking to a routine is super helpful. I love the piece too, that you said, like you have a job where you need to give your energy to other people. And it's so true. Like if you, yeah, if you don't, if you sleep like crap and then you have nothing else to give to people and that's your, that's what you get paid to do. So what would you say the next pillar is? Next one, I would say, I'm going to go with breath. I'm kind of going in reverse order again of like most people would say movement or working out and then nutrition. But I feel like breath is big because this is one that is so common with my clients right now. And I'm not saying I don't experience stress. Trust me, I do experience stress. But I feel like when I'm talking to my clients on a daily basis, that is something that comes up so often is I'm stressed out. Work is really stressful. I'm working nonstop. I don't have the time, right? And it's like we live in this world where literally people don't have the time to even take care of themselves for 30 minutes of a workout every day or go for a walk or stop and breathe, you know? And so breath to me is a couple things. Breath can be literally pausing and taking a breath to shift your mindset and shift your mood. Just like one breath, you know what I mean? Like taking a moment for yourself and kind of putting yourself in the right headspace. Another one could be meditation. So when it comes to actually like a breath practice of some sort, that might be meditation. And that's super helpful for people, right? So there's tons of studies that show that meditation is extremely helpful, especially with anxiety and and feeling that stress. And oftentimes when we're feeling like we don't have the time for it, that's when we need to make the time for it. But another one, even, you know, kind of going into nutrition then is, you know, let's say we're working out. That's just another stressor in our day, right? And oftentimes like we're already stressed with work and then we go to a workout and we're giving our body like maybe a good stress, but still a stress let's say after that workout, before we eat a meal, breath is a great way to get people to come back down to a parasympathetic state, which is our rest and digest state. So I highly recommend people, you know, do a little bit of breath work post-workout before they go eat their next meal. Cause that's also important. A lot of times people will work out and then they're in such a rush that they run out the door and then they go shove food down their throat on the go. And then they go back to work and then they have, you know, digestive problems. And it's like, well, that's just another piece to that puzzle, right? Like it's all connected. And so breath I think is just key because it really does control our autonomic nervous system. A lot of it can be a way to control our thoughts that we're having. Right. And just kind of like coming back to the present moment, which can sound cheesy, but it's so helpful. You know, if you're looking to live a long and healthy life, you can't be stressed out all the time. And so just little techniques like that are really important. And then on the performance side, you could even go down like the benefits of nasal breathing and just different breath practice techniques to help improve performance, things that can upregulate you and then downregulate regulate you. Like those are all pieces of the puzzle as well. But for most people, I'm going to say just like breathing through their nose can be more beneficial for them, um, which they probably may not do enough. Learning how to breathe with their diaphragm. 
I don't know if you were ever taught how to breathe with your diaphragm, but I know I wasn't until I like sought that out. Right. And so I think a lot of times it's like this thing we do on a daily basis, we may not even know how to do it efficiently (laughs) or correctly. So I think that's really important. And lastly, I could go down a rabbit hole for sure, but John Wolf at the Onnit Academy one time during a certification said something that has stuck with me ever since when we're thinking about movement and mobility. And that is with every breath, is a mobilization of tissue. And so when I'm doing some sort of mobility and I'm focusing on my breath, to me that brings more intention to the movement, but also proper breathing can open up mobility in all sorts of ways and can help you mobilize certain areas of your body. So there's just a lot of ways to look at breath and use breath. So I feel like that's a big piece of the puzzle. No, that's, it's funny. Like after I hurt my knee, I had knee surgery and stuff like that. But when I went to PT, they had me like blowing into a balloon, you know, like with my feet on the wall and like activating my hamstrings and stuff like that. And honestly, like it wasn't until I started doing those kind of things that like my knee actually started feeling better, but it's crazy. Yeah. We like, we breathe all day, every day. And like, we really don't know how to do it the right way. That's pretty awesome. Do you still do that? I don't like, it's like after once my knee started feeling better, I was like, yeah, I don't need to do that anymore. But even now, like my knees kind of hurts and I, it's not like what it was used to be, but I'm sure like if I started implementing all that stuff again, I'd be much better off. Yeah. That's common with a lot of people too, right? It's like a, one of our biggest things is trying to get people to implement these things before they need it. Right. And what happens is most people don't do it until something happens until something hurts. And then they come to us and they're like, well, now this hurts. And it's like, I want to get people to just be doing this on a daily basis so that we don't get injured, you know, or that if we do get injured, we can recover faster or that we better learn how to self-soothe in some way, right? Like, and alleviate some of that pain. Yeah. It's funny because I mean, like I said, I took a few months off of doing the podcast and like, I'm almost a hypocrite. Cause like, I say this all the time, you know, like I, I interviewed tons of physical therapists and stuff like that. And yeah, like you need to do this before it's a problem. And I'm proof that oh, just like everyone else, so. <laughs> no one's perfect. I know you briefly touched on the nutrition piece, but I just want to make sure we touch on all the pillars. Anything else on like, just like the fuel that you're, you're giving yourself every day or. Oh, nutrition is huge too. Yeah. I mean, literally the cells in your body is made up of what you're putting in your body and that can affect your mood in and of itself. You know, our gut and our mood is tied together. And again, how you're recovering, right? Like, yeah, I'm sure people have heard like use food as fuel and like thinking about like what kind of gas would you want to put in your car? Right. And stuff like that. Like, but also just like, I had a conversation with someone yesterday. We were talking about, I put up something on Instagram about like, what habits are you rooted in? And are they coming from a place of love and self-care? Are they coming from a place of like guilt, shame, and fear? And what I mean by that is like, let's think about nutrition. Are you eating healthy because you're feeling guilty about how you might look or feel, right? Like some people starve themselves because they want to be skinnier or whatever it is, right? Or are you overeating and feeding yourself stuff that's not good for you because we're trying to cover up something else that's going on, right? And I feel like when we can come back to just feeding ourselves from a place of like love and gratitude and I don't know, acceptance of who we are, then you'll see that like, you're going to feel so much better when you give your body what it needs. So, I mean, nutrition plays a role in every, like literally what we think, how we perform. We can talk about performance. We can talk about like just the importance of like what you eat, you know, pre-workout or post-workout or just within a day or within a week, we can talk macros. Like it all plays a big impact. But I think for most people, they just struggle to like feel good about what they're eating. And that is where I 
I try to like really help my clients is just, you know, again, like it doesn't have to be perfect. No one's perfect, but let's find the things that make you feel good, help you sleep better, help your skin be clearer, right? Help you perform at a higher level. That's how we should be treating our body. Or I want people to treat their body, right? Like just take care of it. And so nutrition is definitely a huge piece of that. Can you take us through like an example? I know you work with the junior WNBA, right? Yeah, we've been working with kind of all of it, but the junior NBA in general and the special Olympics, the junior NBA, we did a lot of uh, at-home videos for, for like body weight and basketball workouts. And then they've been hosting some virtual camps. We're actually going to do another one in September as well as for the special Olympics. Can you take us through like with each of the pillars that we just went over, like what would it be like if a current athlete was working with you, like what kind of, would you be teaching them on their breath? Like while they're doing this and talking about what they're eating and, you know, trying to get them not to watch Netflix before they go to bed. Take us through like an example of how you would work with an athlete to make them more durable. Honestly, it's just meeting them where they're at, right? So it's figuring out what are things that they're doing that are going really well for them. And then talking to them and figuring out like, what are the things that are kind of like the biggest things that are in their way? Right. So maybe if I was working with you and I'm like, all right, sounds like you've got a lot of good things down, but what do you feel like intuitively is something that you know, you could change that would be for the better. Right. And maybe let's say you'd be like, all right, well, I think I could definitely be getting better sleep. Right. Like I know I'm going to bed too late. Like a lot of times I let people choose for themselves. So I don't want to come to them and just be like, here's the first thing we're going to fix. Right. Because some people might be getting enough sleep. Some people might understand the nutrition. Some people might just be lacking in hydration. So through conversation, I try to figure out like where are they at and what can we implement into their daily routine that's going to help them. Again, for some people, it could be like they're not moving enough. So they could just start with walking more, right? Like getting more meat in. And so I try to have those conversations and, and guide people to decide for themselves. And from there, I try to get people to choose like one or two things. And then do that for about two weeks, try to create that habit. Once we've got that down, then we come back to that conversation. Cool. What's the next thing we think we could work on? And it could be in all, any of any or all of those pillars, right? So it's like, maybe you want to start doing meditation in the morning. Cool. Maybe you just want to do a gratitude journal. Maybe you like need your joint by joint mobility in the morning, right? Or whatever it might be. So then we work on those things for the next two weeks, like one or two things that you think you can accomplish. And basically then we keep adding and adding and adding, but I don't want to throw too much at people at once. You know what I mean? So hopefully that helps. Like it's honestly just every person is going to be different. If I'm working with them, obviously I'm either working with them one for workouts, like personal training or group classes, or I do have some online nutrition and lifestyle clients. So I would say for like my clients that I'm seeing in person, I obviously have a bigger role in what they're doing movement wise because I'm programming their workouts for them. So on top of that, then just on a daily basis, I'm having conversations with them. Like when we're going through the joint by joint mobility warm up, or we're going through a certain part of their workout, I might have those conversations of like, Hey, how's sleep been? Right. Just kind of checking in with each of them individually, how's sleep, how's stress. Like I just have conversations with them so that I can get a better feel for what their life looks like. Right. And then cool. Have you been tracking water? Like, Oh, I see you brought your water bottle today. Awesome. How's that going? And like, I just have those little things that I throw into my conversations with my clients every single day that I see them. And from there, allow them to kind of like ask for support in the area that they need the most support in. So as we wrap up here, where can listeners, you know, follow your work 
And then what are they going to find there? I know like if they follow your Instagram, they're going to find a lot of these great movement and breathing tips and, and stuff like that, that I've actually already started using. So where can people find you? Yeah. On Instagram, my name is Nat Trill Fit. It's N-A-T period T-R-I-L-L period fit. I like to tell the story behind that just so there's more context. Honestly, I was in the sauna with Primal Soldier with Eric and I was trying to figure out just what to change my Instagram name to at the time. I can't remember what it was, but I think it's just like Natalie, I don't know, in Higby or something like that. And so we were like brainstorming things and I am often, one, I love to be in nature, just like my natural element is kind of how I look at that. Like I love nature. I don't wear a lot of makeup. I tend to be just like very natural in that sense. Um, and I try to keep things really authentic. And I've, I've always kind of made that a point to do that on my page is to be me, be authentic and just kind of like show it how it is. And then the word trill means keeping it real. So somehow like we kind of came up with like natural fit and I like the way it sounded like, like natural you know, like just being natural, but also keeping it real. So I stuck with that. I was like, that one's fun. I like it. So natural fit on Instagram is where I post. Yeah. Just a ton of stuff. And then our website, the durable You know, we have tons of blog articles on all of our pillars. We have a four week body weight program that you can do. The workouts on there are like 30 minutes, no equipment needed. We have breath practices at the end of each day. We have mobility worked into those workouts. So if you're interested in kind of getting started with some mobility and body weight training, go check out the four-week body weight program on our website that Christian and I have put together. And then Christian and I are also in the process of coming out with our own app right now. We're working with a team. So we've been working hard, filming tons of content, writing out the programs right now. I don't have an exact launch date, but just kind of be on the lookout, sign up on our email list, stuff like that. Like you'll definitely get notified when we have that. And we'll be putting out daily mobility workouts, daily body weight workouts, and then workouts that even just have like kettlebells, med balls, bands, stuff like that. We'll have desk mobility videos in there as well. So we call that like the durable professional, you know, people who are looking to just feel better while they tend to sit for long hours. But those are the two big ones, Instagram and our website right there. I'll link all those up in, in the show notes for everyone and I'll include some of your Instagram videos and, and, and the like in the, in the blog post, but close it out with my question that I ask all my guests, which is what's your definition of toughness? I'm going to go back to being durable using the word, the durable athlete, right? Like I think being tough means being durable, the ability to withstand wear and tear and to be resilient. I think that's the perfect definition for, for this episode. Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing all of your knowledge. And I really recommend that all the listeners go and uh, give you a follow. And thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it.